Any Furman University, an enrollment of a whopping 2,500 students, sent their football team down to Atlanta, Georgia, to play the mighty Georgia Tech Bulldogs. No, Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets. It was the opening game for Georgia Tech. They were a top 25 team. The game was on ABC Sports. It was going to be shown up and down the East Coast. Furman was supposed to lose. And they were supposed to lose real, real bad. But their coach began to instill in the team from the very beginning that they, in order to win this game, had to have faith. Have faith in yourselves. He told them you could have no doubt. No doubts. Because if they had doubt, they'd never win the game. So their motto for that game became became no doubts, no doubts, no doubts. So when they ran on the field that September afternoon in front of 70,000 people on national television, they had no doubt that they could win the game. But when they saw Georgia Tech run onto the field (laughs) and saw how big they were, they still had no doubt. But that was their theme. And when they kicked off the, to start the game, Georgia Tech fumbled the opening kickoff and Furman recovered. And they had no doubt. They drove down and kicked a field goal and were ahead three to nothing on national television. And their theme was coming true. No doubt. Even when Furman kicked off and Tech drove the field and scored, it was just seven to three. Still had no doubt. And when they got the ball back and drove again and it was fourteen to three, they had a little bit of doubt. And then they got the ball back again and they drove down and went ahead twenty one to three. And now Furman was talking about it was a great deal of doubt in their minds. And then after they scored their eighth consecutive touchdown. <laughs> To go ahead 56 to 3 and it's still in the third quarter. Doubt doesn't even begin to describe the feeling that Furman had. Now maybe you understand, like I understand, how doubt can work on us. And it's a tricky thing because when things are good, we have no doubt. When things aren't so good, we have to face storms and sometimes it looks like it's 56 to 3 and only in the third quarter my wife asked me one time she said is there a mercy rule in football I said no there's there's no mercy rule baby you just mercy is that it gets over quickly The greatest mercy rule you can find is if both coaches agree to a continuous clock running and there's no time, the clock just keeps running. Then it becomes merciful. But that's very rare that coaches agree to do that. Because when doubt creeps in, it begins to undermine our faith. 
It can really shake us to the very core of our being when we have doubt. And so as we continue in our teaching series, Unshakable Faith, and we talk about how can we face the doubts in our lives, how can we face them with faith, I know that there are many of us here today who are struggling with doubt in different areas of our life. Doubts keep us from trusting God with those very important parts of our life. One of the most frustrating parts for me is the doubt that I'll ever have health insurance that actually does covers you and doesn't cost you a literal arm and leg. Uh, President Clinton put into effect the COBRA laws so that if you lost your job or whatever, you could maintain your health insurance coverage through COBRA. What is, it's interesting that it's named COBRA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A COBRA is deadly. You do not want to handle a COBRA. Well, we've had COBRA insurance for one month. That was it. That's all I could afford and really couldn't afford that. $1,708 for health insurance for one month. Going into the second month, they wanted you to pay two months. Sure they did. They said you could get a bargain by doing it six months. Really? We don't have that anymore, but we have something that's called a health insurance plan. Not really sure. Said we had uh, um, prescription coverage. It's a discount card, which means no discount. I got a lot of doubt when it's related to this health insurance stuff, okay? And I'm praying that my wife decides that she wants to work again. Instead of enjoying this not working at home. Our house is incredible. Well, I mean, she's gotten stuff thrown away, put up, and, but we need her to go back to work so we can get some health insurance again. And as I've been looking, another doubt that jumped into me was my age because they said, Oh, you're just two years away from Medicare. Oh, great. That's just, that's just wonderful. Never thought I'd hear those words and be excited. <laughs> so you see, we all have doubts. They come in different ways. They come in different forms. And today I want us to look with God's help. We're going to have how to overcome the five biggest kinds of doubt that we face. And I believe that we can do that. In the New Testament, our, our story today out of the scriptures in Mark chapter 9. So if you would find that in your uh, uh, notes today. I'll get it in front of me as well. Uh, it's rather lengthy, but there's so much within this passage that we need to learn from. Uh, just by way of a little bit of a context here, uh, Jesus has just been at the top of a mountain with his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. They have a tremendous, they experienced a religious uh, experience that was just beyond belief. They saw Moses and Elijah appear. They heard the voice of God. Uh, he says, this is my son, listen to what he has to say. 
It's a very spiritual moment. But they, when they came down off that mountaintop, they had to come back down into the valley, back to real life, and they walk into a mess. It's kind of like when you go on that vacation, you've had a great time. It's been fantastic to be away. You, you've had absolutely no cares at all. And all of a sudden, you got to go back to work. And you wonder, does anyone do anything around here when I'm not here? They never experienced that? It's crazy, isn't it? Crazy. Look at verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. And there was this big argument, this big commotion. And one of the men in the crowd spoke up. He said, Teacher, he's talking to Jesus. I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit uh, uh, seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. So this is what's happening. The guy brings the son to the disciples. He wants the disciples to heal the son. He can't do it. But it starts a commotion and the religious guys start arguing. This day is full of doubt. Let's keep going. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they bring the boy to him. When the evil spirit saw Jesus, now this is key right here. When the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. So the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on him and help us if you can. Now would you underline that? Those three words, if you can, underline that on on your outline there. Because in those words was doubt. The father had a lot of doubt. I mean, after all, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they couldn't do anything with their son and with his son. So how was he? I mean, they were they were worthless. So how how did he? How could he be sure that Jesus wasn't going to also be worthless? I love what Jesus said. What do you mean, if I can? <laughs> Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. Underline that phrase as well. Anything is possible if a person believes. So Jesus turns it around. The Father said, if you are capable of doing this, will you do it? And Jesus said, it has nothing to do with me. I can do anything. It has to do with your faith. One of the toughest things I've had to experience and watch on television <clears throat> was a, a televangelist. He was one of these healing guys. He said, there are people today in a wheelchair that today you are going to walk. Your faith is going to make you walk. So he said, if you're in a wheelchair, would you come up to the front? Well, here they come. Gets them all lined up in the front. Tells him, he says, do you have faith that you can walk? If you have faith, get up out of that wheelchair and walk. Now! Get up now and walk. You know, did all the gyrations and all the yelling and screaming at the right times. In the name of James! You know, you gotta, you gotta say it a certain way. You can't say it just Jesus. You gotta say it a certain way. You gotta spit it. 
Your jowls have to shake. Your hair has to flare up. I mean, nostrils go out. You got to say Jesus in the right way instead of just Jesus. And he said, get up and walk. And people tried to get up out of their wheelchair and they collapsed on the floor. I call them goons, the big goons, lifted the guy, people back and put them in their chairs while their legs were shaking, you see, because that's what happens to them when your legs don't work right. And this televangelist looked at every one of them and he said, you know, today was your day. However, your faith wasn't big enough for you to walk today. Kenneth Copeland. I'll never listen to the man speak again. Ever. Ever. Isn't that the dad right now in the story? Wanted that son healed. Disciples can't do anything. I'm not even sure this Jesus can do anything. He's becoming desperate. Look at verse 25. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirits that make this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child. Never enter him again. The spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and then left him. Jesus took him by the hand. Helped him to his feet and he stood up. And afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Oh, look what Jesus says. This kind could only be cast out by what? What's your, what does it say? By prayer. I want you to circle that word prayer. Because the key to the boy being healed was prayer. To overcome doubt, you've got to develop a prayer life that connects with God. Not the kind of prayer, Lord, we thank you for our food, we thank you for our day, we thank you for the grass, we thank you for the sky, we thank you for the moon, and we thank you for mom and dad. Those are great prayers, don't get me wrong. But that's not the prayer I'm talking about. I put in your outline five key truths about doubt. Open it up there and you'll see those. Let me quickly give those to you. Number one, it's easy to, it's easy to have faith on the mountaintop, but it's hard not to doubt in the valley. When you're on the mountaintop, it's easy. But when you're down the valley, huh, not so much. Easy to have faith on Sunday when you sing the songs and around other Christians, but Monday when you gotta to go to work and face that one person. That boss, or that, you know what I'm saying. That one guy that drives to work at the same time you do and cuts you off every single day. That one. You know, the one that you're ready to kill and strangle and pinch their head off. Yeah. Which leads to the second truth, and that is doubt is a sign there is a broken connection with God. Make sure you fill that in there. Doubt is a sign there's a broken connection with God. It's like a red flashing light. It's a warning sign that 
to you that there is something wrong, something broken. Doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with God. And it doesn't mean that you are a bad person, but it's a warning sign to you that something is not quite right in that relationship between you and God. Leads us to the third truth. My doubts limit God's power in my life. My doubts limit God's power in my life. The father turned to Jesus and he said, If you can do this, will you heal my son? And Jesus turns it around. He says, it's not about me. I can do anything. I'm God. It's about you, pal. Do you have faith that we can do this? I've asked before. I've said before. Do you believe that we could fill every seat in this auditorium? And every one of you. Absolutely. When's the last time you prayed for that? What do you mean pray about that? Well, are we going to do it? If we're going to do it, if we can't do it, God can do it, but we can't do it. But guess what? There's a little secret formula that God has chosen to use in building His kingdom. And you know what that secret formula is? That little secret formula? Us. <laughs> Therein lies the problem. Amen. It's us. We be the problem. But anything is possible if we believe. It's when we doubt. If that one person doubts that it's going to happen. Anytime we make a change at the church, anytime we've done something, there's always that one person that goes, Oh my gosh, what is that all about? Every time. You ever gone to your favorite restaurant and they change the color in the room? Oh my gosh, what is that all about? You don't ever say that. You sit in and eat. You don't worry about what the color is on the wall or anything else. You're just excited because you're there to eat that food. Wouldn't it be great to come into church and not worry about what the color of the wall is, about how dirty the carpet is, but how excited you are to be here to focus on the cross and on Christ. A lady went to her pastor and said, I'm leaving this church. He goes, well, before you do, let me ask you this. What bothers you about the church? She goes, well, people just aren't focused in. They're not tuned in. They're looking at their cell phone while you preach. They don't open their Bible. They're just, they're sitting and gossiping. They're just talking back and forth to each other. He said, well, I want to ask you a question. When you get up in the morning, you get a cup of coffee, you go out, sit on your porch. What do you see? She says, oh, I focus on the beauty that's around me that God created. I focus on the, on the rising sun and the, and the dew on the grass and the beautiful animals that I see. She said, and, and he said, so you're focused on the things that God gives you to see. He said, why don't you come to church and instead of focusing on the cell phones and the hypocrisies and he said, why don't you focus on what God can do for you that day at that church. What a difference it might make if we would come to church focused on what God's going to do in me and to me and through me today. Wow. Number four, Jesus only requires a small amount of faith. I love that part. It's not that you've got to come up with a thousand degrees worth of faith. you just got to show up. Just a little bit. And with you and God, you can do more. Number five, the essential tool to overcoming doubt is prayer. It is prayer. 
The disciples were confused. Why couldn't they deal with this boy? We have been able to heal in the past. Why couldn't we heal this boy? And Jesus said, this kind can only be healed by prayer. This kind. Well, that's a powerful thought if you'll stop and think about it. Why isn't everyone we pray for healed? Maybe it's our prayer. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I do know this. Everybody Jesus encountered, He did not heal. Some of them wouldn't let Him. Some of them would walk away. Because His requirement for healing sometimes meant they had to give up something. What are you ready to give up? Now, hold on, preacher. You've not gone from preaching to meddling now. See, prayer is connecting to God. Prayer is when you connect to God and God connects to you and there is a communication going on. Cindy does this to me all the time when I'm not listening. She does this little thing. Any of, any, anybody else get that? Her hand is attached like this every day. It looks like a cobra striking me, boys. And then she does it multiple times like that. I think, man, she got a twitch or something. Something happens. She got, she's having a seizure over there. Well, you know, I never tell her that because then it could get, she'll have both hands going. Oh boy. Let's get into the five biggest doubts that we, kinds of doubt that we face. Number one, when difficult circumstances cause doubt, my prayers release God's power into my life. You may be dealing with sickness, a loved one that you just lost. A marriage that's falling apart. Finances are in trouble. There may be trouble at work. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you had a place that you were living that now you can't. Difficult circumstances. They surround us all the time. Just when you th- things begin to look good, your car breaks down. Yep. Or it's July and your air conditioner goes out. I'm raising my hand because I just got to replace my air conditioner. It is so much fun. It's so much fun. Cindy decided rather than go to a hotel for that night when we didn't have AC, we would stay at our house and just run fans on us. There's not a fan big enough. (laughs) Anywhere. Jeff even offered to let us come to his house. They had AC at their house. But not my wife. Not this one. That's right. I talk real big when she's not here. But then some, but yeah, but then some of you guys call her! So stop it. Okay, great. Yeah, she sent a text because you sent her a text. That's going to take me to number two right quick, alright. Actually, I want you to look at Mark 9 23 there in your outline. Anything is possible if a person believes. Circle that word anything. Anything is possible if a person believes. Now it's easy to say we believe, but do we really honestly believe it? There's where, we, there's where it, it catches us. Number two, when intellectual arguments cause doubt, my prayers remind me of God's presence. It doesn't always make sense, does it? God, 
I got to replace the AC, God. I call my AC guy. He comes over and gives me a price. I'm going, wow, that seems reasonable. It did. It seemed very reasonable. And then I took a picture of it because it's made by the Goodman Company in Houston. I have a son that sells parts to Goodman to build these. So I send him the picture and say, hey, look, this is my new AC unit. I thought he'd come back. with. He comes back with about, I just sold them 90 million tons of these parts to make those things. I said, well, I'll always know that I have a little piece of you outside. <laughs> you see how God works? So I buy an AC unit that affected my children in Houston and my family in Houston. Wow. 90,000. 90,000 tons of material to build. That's a lot of, that's a lot of air conditioning units to build. His stuff is this, is the casing around it and the top and the bottom part. That's what he sells them. <laughs> that's a lot of air conditioners to come up with that much. But if it doesn't make sense, that's when prayer reminds us of God's presence. Look at verse 19, Mark 9. Teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. You see, it didn't make any sense to these religious leaders. It doesn't make any sense to a lot of people around us that God can heal you, God can save you, God can overcome. doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense that Bryant is still with us. Because when, you know, the cancer... When it remissioned and it came back, full-blown full, full blown come back, how discouraged was he? Well, you'd never know it. He's not going to sit there and go, no, he won't do that. Because he's a man of faith. And here's what I know about Bryant, and I think I can say this and not be embarrassing to him. If cancer takes him, <laughs> he still wins. He still wins. Love the picture your dad, by the way, put in. Where was Bryant? You were, you were the only one in the picture. Oh, that's your wedding picture. Well, I'm glad Bryant wasn't next to you then. Yeah. He was there. He was at the cake. I know where he is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was over. Hey, Bryant! <laughs> Boy, your dad's a handsome man. I can also see no riffraff out of that guy. All these stories you tell me, I, that picture just, uh, suddenly I'm going, I can see him telling them stories. <laughs> They'd go out on Friday night and he'd say, yep, you can hide, you think, but God sees you everywhere you are. Kept them on their toes. You know, we'll hear intellectual arguments. Hear them all today. There's no God out there. People are stupid believing in God. Well, you're stupid if you don't. Stupid if you don't. Boy, we got a bunch of stupid ones running around. San Francisco. Have you read, read the stories about San Francisco? Somebody found, or somebody piled up in a trash bag 60 pounds of, of doo-doo. From the homeless. They're all over. All over San Francisco. That's where Nancy Pelosi's, that's her area. 
I need I need to just go ahead and keep preaching and get off of that. Let's go on to number three. When imperfect Christians cause doubt. You ever been hurt by somebody in the church? Don't raise your hand. Because <laughs> all of us would raise our hand. When imperfect Christians cause doubt, my prayers enable me to look past them to God's Son. Why am I here? Because some, I'm here because Jesus died on the cross for me. I've had people over the years, I'd ask them, I said, why'd you quit coming to River Oaks? Well, so and so said such and such. And here's my answer. Isn't it, isn't it a shame that you're gonna let one person's words affect your ability to worship Jesus at the cross? How sad is that? And what's even worse is, they don't go to church anywhere. So I have to wonder about the relationship they have with the cross to start with. Because people are going to hurt you. <laughs> They're going to say stuff that's going to hurt you. Amen? They will. When you put your faith in a person, it's going to let you down every time. Every time. Why do you think I don't preach from the stage anymore? I know, you don't want me to fall off the stage. I got it, I remember. Gosh, that happened 39 years ago. I've only been here 23, but you know what I'm saying. It was a long time. But I finally came down to the floor for two reasons. Number one, so I won't fall off the stage. And number two, because I want you to know I am just like you. Our football coach used to say if we were playing a team that was a formidable foe, he'd always say they put their pants on just like you do, one leg at a time. I used to get, I hate that. I said, yeah, but they're 19 feet tall. We always played Goliath, it seemed like. Verse 18, look at verse 18, Mark 9. I asked the disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And a lot of people... When they run into imperfect Christians in the church, imperfect pastors, imperfect churches, they turn their back on the perfect Savior. Christians aren't perfect. If you are perfect looking for the perfect church, don't come into this one because you're going to ruin it. And don't come into that perfect church. Because your sin will create a problem. Hebrews 12.2 Would you say this with me? Ready? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that verse. That's why prayer is so important, especially when you're hurt by a Christian or the church. Because when you talk to God, you're able to see past that person's imperfection. None of us are perfect. We are a church full of imperfect people just doing life together. That's what we're doing. And when we mess up, some of us mess up really obviously. <laughs> obviously so more than others. But when we mess up, Let's love each other through it. If you put your faith in people, they're eventually going to let you down. 
had it happen too many times in my own life. I know you've had it happen in your life. Number four, when times of spiritual dryness cause doubt, my prayers allow me to hear God's voice. My prayers allow me to hear God's voice. All of us at one time or another are going to go through a time of spiritual dryness. You may be there now. I've been there. How do you correct spiritual dryness to become alive again? You go back to do the basics. Coaches, whenever you're coaching a kiddo that's kind of gotten out of sync, what do you tell them to do? Go back to basics. Okay, let's go work on the basics. I asked Kim about his girls' golf uh, team. They really did good. He said, boy, but they're young. And see, they, some of them probably forgot their basics is the further up the ladder they went, the more important it is to do the basics right so that you perform better. You ever watched him on Facebook do swimming lessons with little kids? Little three-year-old kids. You'll, you'll turn the video on and it shows him throwing them upside down into the water. Three years old! I think, man, what the guy lost his mind. He's drowning his kids in his bath, his pool in his backyard. Then the kid just pops up, and then he's taught them to just turn on their back. I don't know what he calls it, but he calls it something. The little kid just turns. <laughs> but what he's taught them is if you fall in the water, don't panic. Just turn over, and you'll float. Then he gets them to turn around and swim. They're three years old. It's awesome. It's awesome. During the summer, he's got cars lined out. It looks like a used car lot out in front of his house. It's it's one mom after another mom after another mom letting him throw their kids in a pool. But I love it because he's teaching them faith. Boy, there's so many spiritual things you can go with this these lessons he does. But it's getting back to the basics. So when you're in a spiritual dry spot, Philip Yancey said any relationship involves times of closeness and times of distance. And in a relationship with God, no matter how intimate, the pendulum will swing from one side to the other. So when you're in dryness, get back to basics. Get back to praying. Get back to reading the Bible and getting back to sharing your faith and getting back to holding in with each other and gathering with those who believe like you believe and singing the songs of praise. Nothing better than to roll up the windows, get that AC going loud, and kick up KXOJ and just sing like you're the best singer that's ever come down the line. You may not care a tune to bucket, but inside that car, you know, nobody care. If they didn't hear you outside the car, well, that's, that's a whole different matter, but you know what I'm saying. You gotta get back to the basics. David, Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. You ought to know what he did. Job, a man that God loved, cries out to God. God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus, his own son, when he's being crucified on the cross, cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? You see, we all go through moments and times of spiritual dryness. When we feel that God is so far away, can't hear him anymore, can't reach him anymore, he doesn't care anymore. And that's what we need to do and practice Psalm 1-3. talks about people who are planted in life, in a life of prayer and in Scripture. And it says, They are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. The leaves neither wither, 
uh, and they prosper in all that they do, even during the dry times. Now turn over to the last page of your notes and let's look at number five. When recurring sin uh, in my life causes doubt, my prayers reveal God's grace to me. You ever struggle with the same sin over and 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 over? Oh, God, please forgive me and help me to overcome this. Amen. <sighs> For five minutes, you're clear. And here it comes again. A man has a sexual thought every 60 seconds. Women, I'm sorry. It's the way it is. The way we're wired. Now, what men, what we have to do is do what Paul suggested in 2 Corinthians, is take every thought captive for Christ, not for your flesh, but for Christ. So you know you're wired that way. Think differently. If the thought comes, reflect it somewhere else. It'd be better to reflect it to Scripture. Huh. That's why you want to memorize Scripture. Huh. It's so that when those thoughts come... You bring up a verse. Now you're catching on. Romans 7. If you think you're, you know, you're the only one that struggles with that, well, the mighty, mighty apostle Paul in Romans 7, he says, I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Then he goes on to say, who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So now there is no condemnation, moving into chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's now no condemnation. If you're in Christ Jesus, you've got the victory. You're going to struggle every day, but you're going to have to face the fact that you're walking away from God and not toward God. Turn it around. You can do that if you want to do that. Our last verse that's mentioned there is Matthew 17, our memory verse. Let's read it out loud there off of your outline on the back page. It says, I tell you the truth. Read with me. I tell you the truth. If you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. And it's true, isn't it? Nothing will be impossible. Nothing at all. Faith is a mustard seed. You see how much God expects of us? Just a mustard seed. Just a mustard seed. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you know our hearts. You know our hearts better than we know our hearts. You know where we're struggling with faith, Lord. You know where doubt has taken hold and is keeping us from living the life you want us to live. There are some of us here today who because of different circumstances that have entered our life have doubts there are some of us because of an intellectual argument and seeds of doubt are planted in our minds we struggle with that with keeping from having the faith that we want to have and God there's some here because we hurt in the past because of an imperfect Christian or a pastor or a church keeping us from having the faith that we want and causing doubt. God, there's some of us here who are going through a spiritual dryness. We don't feel your presence in our life and we're beginning to doubt because of it. 
God, there are some here who are struggling with sin. Seems like they keep sinning the same old sin over and over and over and over. It's causing us to doubt our faith. Father, I, I know you don't want us to doubt. But take our imperfect faith and God, give us the ability to overcome our doubt. Father, our prayer for you today is that Jesus, we believe, help us to overcome our unbelief. And Father, if there's just one today, here today, that needs to make a decision of some kind, maybe to claim you as their Savior for the first time, or maybe to say, you know, preacher, I've really been struggling with some doubt in this area of my life. But we'd love a chance to pray for them and pray with them over that. So God, if there's just one, would you have them respond this morning as we end our service with our invitation song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.